0: On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we actually have Austin and Greg interviewing myself, Joel. Um, kind of flipped the script on this one a little bit, but since we had interviewed them, they wanted to turn it around and interview me. And so on this one, we talk a lot about AT empowerment and my own personal shift of thinking in terms of leadership within athletic training and Some of the other things that I've grown into over my career and has really opened up my eyes to how we can still operate at the highest level as a profession, yet still maintain some level of control over our work schedules and our lives, which is not always feasible, but something that I think we can strive for to just be able to have better control over what we do and um, ultimately be seen as the medical professionals that we are. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please check them out as you continue to work through this year and any of your ordering. If you have ideas or thoughts, they are always happy to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out to them and send those along. Without further ado, enjoy this episode.
1: Episode of athletic training chat um, it's rare for all three of us to be here but it's, I'm here with Joel and Greg and kind of a special episode for you today um, I guess recently we've heard a lot of Joel interviewing people so we thought we'd kind of flip the script here a little bit get to know the man behind the mic a little so <laughs> we're gonna kind of talk to Joel about some topics some leadership topics, some COVID stuff, you know, just kind of get a good mix of everything. So um, Joel, if you just kind of want to introduce yourself a little, kind of your background maybe, and then how this AT chat thing got started.
0: Yeah, Um. so you guys listed all my stuff in there, so we'll give a quick little run through uh, of history. Um, I had no idea what athletic training was, Um, until I went to my freshman orientation at UW Madison. Uh, I knew I wanted to do kinesiology, and the only reason I knew that is because I saw it on the outside of a weight room. Uh, So that's what I thought I wanted to do. Uh, Then they started talking about this athletic training thing um, during this, it it was called SOAR. Um, I have no idea what that stands for anymore, Uh, but I thought that sounded pretty interesting. Um, It ended up being, I think we were the first class to go through the full accreditation because um, had it was like a certificate before. I don't remember the actual things of it, but um, to go through the whole thing, uh, I didn't think I was gonna get into the program. I was banking on an interview or writing a letter and I literally just submitted that I wanted to be in it and got in, thankfully, so I was very nervous about that. Um, so finished up there in 09, um, then tried to find grad schools, couldn't find one that wanted to actually accept me. Um, I flew across the country <laughs> Uh, to two different interviews didn't get either one Uh, that was at my own expense so that kind of sucked thought I really wanted to do division one football Um, ended up at the University of Kansas uh, where I did division one track and field and cross-country and it was that or tennis and cheer swim and dive or rowing so track and field sounded like the one that I would be most interested in Uh, that worked out extremely well in the long run Um, met what I would consider one of my mentors down there. He helped me out so much, just how to work with coaches. He was a former coach, but then he was the director of ops. Uh, Learned a ton from him. Um, The head coach down there, uh, Stanley Redwine, uh, is still to me, one of the best coaches and leaders slash people I've ever met. Um, And I hold him in the highest regard with everything. Uh, So spent two years there, tried to stay on full time, didn't work out. Um, came to UWL for a short stint as one of our part-time ATs, Um, helped uh, then head athletic trainer Scott Doberstein with football and then um, covered wrestling. And during that time, uh, also applied to Oklahoma State to go work track and field across country wanted to get back into that realm. Um, And uh, Coach Redwine helped me get that interview. Uh, So that is a big perk to like who you know, not always what you know. So I'm fairly positive my resume went to the no pile until he called their head coach and said, you need to interview this person, uh, which at least got me a shot, uh, which is really all we can ask for. Uh, So I was there for about two and a half years. Um, I literally worked the wrestling national championships that finished on Saturday, drove down to Oklahoma on Sunday and started work on that Monday. Uh, So it was a fairly quick turnaround. Um, I knew their cross country program was really good so I like walked myself into a national championship in cross country the following year. Uh, So that was pretty fortunate for me, got to work with some pretty high level athletes, stayed there for two and a half years, um, then got a call from Kevin Schultz, who's now down with the Badgers and strength and conditioning at the time he was at UWL asking if I'd ever be interested in coming back. Oklahoma state was great. Oklahoma itself, not so much, not really where I wanted to be in the long run, uh, personally. And so it was a great opportunity to move back. And now I am in the start of what is year seven here and so on with that. Um, ultimately for the AT chat podcast, I get bored real easy, I think. Um, and so I've got another one that I haven't done much with cause of COVID and, a new child um and that was clinically pressed That i'm hoping to get up and going again um and honestly i don't even know how at chat came up i think it was just i was going through and there weren't a lot of athletic training podcasts out there um sports medicine broadcasts and jeremy jackson were were long established um obviously he's done a great job um kind of the og of athletic training podcast was around but he was very much He covers, you know, individuals, absolutely, but a lot of topics is what it seems, and wide-reaching for uh, the sports medicine broadcast, which is great, Um, and so I think I came up with the idea of it would be awesome to, like, highlight athletic trainers and ones that wouldn't necessarily always make it into, like, the NATA news or get highlighted somewhere else, and, you know, everybody's got a unique story and something they're really passionate about, so it was really trying to create a platform for those to just talk about it, and like you guys know when we set these up it's basically like we come up with some questions but then we turn over all editing to them like whatever they want to talk about is what we're trying to do um and so that was really the focus of that um wanted to get a couple people into it austin you were one of the originals greg we brought you on a little bit later to just help a spread out the workload but b just get unique perspectives you know austin you're in mississippi so you're gonna meet people down there that i probably will never meet Um, Greg, you know, whenever you get off to go into doing different things, that'll be the same thing. Uh, so that was really kind of a thought there. And we're what, I think if we release, I get this one out tomorrow, we're like 58 episodes in, which is pretty impressive that we're still going. Um, just ironically at the same time we got started, so did the catalyzing AT and Ryan does an amazing job with that. He's got kind of a unique focus on it. Um, polos and khakis were out but I think they may have graduated so they slowed down a little bit um because I think they were students um candid and those guys you know obviously do their own thing and they're hilarious and they've got their own unique niche um funny that we literally started at the same time as them pretty much and they're across the state from us uh when we did that which I just thought was funny as well um but yeah that was kind of the whole impetus of getting it started
1: Right. Yeah. I think it's definitely cool to see how things have started to take off, especially with the athletic training podcasts, as you mentioned, there were all those. And then there were a couple more I've noticed on like Twitter and stuff and similar, similar concepts, you know, trying to get, hear from people who you otherwise might not hear from. So I think, yeah.
0: uh, what is it, Tom? And I don't, remember, I'm going to butcher his name. So Tom B cause I don't want to screw it up and I don't have it right in front of me has like AT talks, which it yeah. seems like he just inter- inter- invites whoever wants to talk and records a YouTube video, which is awesome. Um, and then all things AT got started up and there you got all kinds of things going and kudos to them for doing that. I don't, I, they're doing more than I can imagine taking on, but the mentor program and I know they've got a, um, Podcast going along with it, kind of doing similar things, which is fantastic because the more we can highlight the people in the profession and get it out there, the better off we are. Right,
1: absolutely. So I guess kind of segue into a topic I know that you're passionate about, and we even talked about it when I was your student. Yep. Um, and that's kind of that leadership, and especially leadership in athletic training so um i guess you're currently in school now again aren't you yep yep um can you kind of explain um kind of why you chose to go back to school and kind of um what you're doing with that
0: yeah so there's a lot of backstory onto that um but currently i'm enrolled in I, it depends on what web page you look at it's a doctoral program in athletic administration and leadership. Um, And that's through Concordia University of Chicago. And I got clued into that through Kevin Schultz, who um, started that a little bit ahead of me um, as well. And so the ultimate thing there is A, my institution implemented a somewhat reimbursement policy for tuition, uh, which is letting me basically get it for 50% off. Um, in the long run, which was a big driver of going back because um, if not now, when, um, right. but also just looking at the long run of, you know, moving into more of an administrative role um, and then also potentially having the opportunity to teach, I think is part of the reason doing it. Um, so that is currently where it's at. And then you kind of alluded to like how that came to fruition and why that one, um, I've had a my own evolution as an athletic trainer um graduate school was very interesting for me in hindsight and i acknowledged it then um but didn't really understand it now and it was unique with just relationships you know with coaching staff uh, who i've already kind of mentioned and then just sports medicine staff and it doesn't shouldn't necessarily be this way but it can get this way of like you know whose team whose team are you a part of? Like, are you a part of the track team when you work with them and you're working with that coach and that's the with verse four, which we can talk about. But you're also really, you're employed by the sports medicine team or the athletic training staff or however it's defined at that institution. And so what are you trying to do then? Who are you trying to appease? Like who's, you know, and I don't mean this as black and white, but whose side are you on? Um, And I remember there was times where I would get myself very confused about that. And I would do something that I know made the track program happy, but didn't necessarily make my supervisors real thrilled. And that was confusing to me at times (laughs) on how I should go about that. Um, Similar thing at Oklahoma State just, you know, but made me, I probably shift a little bit more to the sports med side. And so sometimes that wasn't a popular answer with the track coach. And, you know, all of it is ultimately trying to do the best job. But then now moving into this administrative role. So when I got to UWL, I was just the head AT because Kevin Schultz was here. And then he left for the new opportunity. Uh, I ended up being interim over both, well, interim uh, director of the SPC. Uh, while still being head AT and then that became officially director of the both of them and then a year and a half two years ago whatever it is I got the title bump to assistant AD which really I just I do the same job I just have a longer title um when it comes to that but even looking at that when I first got there was young um single at the time you know nothing Set commitment, and so hours didn't really matter to me. I I would do whatever I needed to do, and didn't mind going in early, staying up late, or staying there late. I just had to make sure I got home to let the dog out um, and spend some time with him. And it was Basset Hound, so he slept twenty hours a day anyway. So you know, he he was generally pretty good with that. Uh, We'd get her a couple walks in, Um, but even before, um, ever things got serious with my now wife. it just seemed unsustainable, like going in that early that many days a week and still being there until 7, 730 at night and all the other things. And so also looking at coaches and this is something like when I got there, we had a large staff. Uh, we traveled what we traveled, which wasn't all the sports, um, but I didn't understand why we wouldn't want to travel more as a staff. Um, that has completely shifted, and when you start looking at how things are delineated out with resources and whatnot, that it's been kind of eye-opening. And I know at times I've not felt pressure to put kids back or too early or anything like that, Not nothing dangerous in my career, but just that other pressure and not feeling like I had the ability to say or the confidence to say no or to really look out for the profession. Right. Sorry, that was a lot of rambling.
1: No, no, definitely and you make a lot of good points there, and especially right now, I'm it's my first year being a certified athletic trainer, so I'm in the I'm single, I got nothing better to do. Point. So, I it's kind of interesting to see that where I'm almost like I'm step one right there, mm-hmm. and how your viewpoints do evolve over time as you get different priorities as things enter your life and you get all these other things and kind of trying to figure out how to balance everything to make everything work and one thing that you covered and you said it to us both of us as students because we both have fabulous preceptors and you've talked about it with the st- your staff I know is kind of that AT services mm-hmm. versus AT services. so I mean I guess, can you elaborate on that concept a little bit and what you mean by that?
0: Yeah, uh, and I wanna just kind of disclaimer this. Like, I don't knock anybody that wants to put their time, all their time into their job um, in athletic training. If that is what you do, that is your passion, that is your lifestyle, that is perfectly fine. Um, It may never shift for some people and there's nothing wrong with that. um, As long as we're all aware that if that is what we choose, that's what we choose, and so you gotta be kind of careful with that um I think so it's hard to back out of it once you've committed to it. um I know some people have I, I don't write currently now I don't have not many athletes have my cell phone number um and it's not because I don't want to talk to them I just it's a kind of a separation they have them in specific cases um but generally, there isn't much emergency happening after hours excuse right. me, that they need to get a hold of me via my cell phone. Um, that's just my personal preference. I don't knock staff for wanting to do that, but I also don't think you have to talk about every little itch at 930 at night when you're trying to just hang out and relax and downshift a little bit. Um, unfortunately, the Outlook app on my phone doesn't have a snooze function starting at a specific time. So I got I got one a couple emails last night that fired me up, so that was – Unfortunate for me, um, I shouldn't have looked. That was my fault. But anyway, um, yeah, the ATC services versus, versus AT servants, and I think this this ties directly in with the work for versus work with your coach and your program. Like whether you're on your own uh, because you're just the only athletic trainer, or you're part of a sports medicine team. Especially in the NCAA, it is supposed to be set up that you do not report directly to the coach and you are, they're more working towards where you're not directly reporting to the AD. Um, that is a shift that is slowly happening. Um, Austin, you got a little experience with that at Vanderbilt. Um, Kansas has gone that route. There's a few others that have. Uh, we've set up the structure within athletics of like, yes, administratively I report to our AD because she is on campus, works for the university, but medically um, we report to our team position. Uh, in terms of any calls, and we've purposely structured the flowchart of staffing that he is on the same level as the AD and that she's not like over him or anything in that regard. So uh, we eliminate that in kind of our mini medical model, um, just given our circumstances and situation with our team physician not being a university employee. But anyway, there was a lot of times where i in hindsight now felt like I worked for a coach. They were dictating what I needed to do. They were calling, you know, not necessarily treatment or rehab wise, but sometimes, um, I get last minute changes happen and we are a flexible profession. Uh, but at some point it's just professional courtesy to allow people to know what's going on and give them, the ability to let you know if they can be there or not. And I know a lot of ATs, myself included, that have canceled personal things because practices have changed. Um, Things that frustrate me the most is when those practices change because of personal things for the coach. Uh, To me, that doesn't seem right. Uh, We don't work for that coach. So if we can't be there and they don't give us enough leeway to adjust, then we aren't gonna be there. that's a hard thing to say, that's a hard thing to do. And that's where I kind of come back to, you know, we work with the coaches, like I will work with you to get the stuff done and define these things, but you've got to work with me to keep me in the loop and know what's going on. And if there is an adjustment in practice that we communicate on that, and it's not just you telling me, oh, this is when practice now is, and just assuming I'm going to be there um, or assuming we're going to just make it happen. Um, and I think that that's that's not the norm um, for a lot of people. At least it's not the norm that I've experienced. Um, and if it is, that's fantastic, and I won't be as much of an alarmist about it. And that's that's good. Um, and so that kind of comes back to the services for the servants. Like, pretty sure if you call for services, you know, and this is a crude example, but you you need a plumber when you call the plumber, you can try and tell them when they're gonna be there. You want them there to help you out. But if they're not available, guess what? They're not showing up. Cause they had other things on the schedule that they had to get done. They are telling you when they are available and you adapt to them. Same thing with the cable guy. They give you a four hour window that they usually don't show up in. Um, but But that's what they're doing. They're giving that because they are a service. And so, you know, with us, we call it athletic training services. And so we're trying, I think we need to live up to that. You know, same thing with the medical, If you're going in to see a doctor. You're, you're, they're telling you when they're available and you're adjusting accordingly. I don't know that we have to go that far. And I know the profession is different, especially in the secondary setting and, you know, and high school and collegiate. I, I understand that. That's what I've spent my entire career in, but I think the other side needs to come to the table a little bit more with that flexibility and not just have it always be relying on us. And so that's where like the services versus servants, you know, I I don't respond to an athlete that, you know, they don't actually do this, but like snaps their fingers and says they need something done. That's not how this thing works. Um, Where I'm at the division three level. um, I don't think that should change it from the division three to the division one level. uh, I think just generally how they interact with you should be the same across the board. I know there's more things riding on division one in terms of profile, but again, I don't, it shouldn't be different in my opinion.
2: Right. Um, What are maybe some like tips, um, advice that you could give other athletic trainers that maybe want to start implementing that idea Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe they're kind of stuck in a sticky situation where, you know, they are kind of getting taken advantage of, I guess, to, to put it, you know, Frank. Um, So what, what would you kind of say to them?
0: Um. so there's multiple layers to that. Uh, I think it's super important for directors of AT or head ATs to have kind of set a tone of what, what their department's going to do. And in talking with some ATs that I've just gotten to meet across the country from the podcast and beyond, that isn't always the case. So it's really hard to function within that realm if you don't have that upper support. So th- that, that's one that I think is really important um, for those directors or head ATs to empower their staff to have some ability to adjust with that um depending on the situation i think it's very important to set the expectations early in your career so you know for younger ats if you don't um if you're not gonna be at where you're at long you know look starting to look for your next one because it can be hard to go from you know kind of good cop and then try and pull on the bad cop, or you offer up all this stuff and now you're trying to pull it away that's harder to me than starting low. So like under promising yet over delivering. So you can like add more things as you feel comfortable with it. Um, that's good. That is seemingly the easiest way to me. And then one that I've really adopted, and you guys probably heard me say this and I'm sorry that I'm gonna say it again is, you know, no, can be both an answer and an explanation. Right. And I think oftentimes that's how I got myself in trouble is I would try and like word dance around a thing when the answer was just no. <laughs> and I didn't want to say it because it's hard. And you don't, and I, I'm a people pleaser. I don't like when people are upset with me, but it's really hard to say, but it, if you can in specific situations, man, like it's freeing to some degree and then ultimately, you know, and this is takes some deep reflection. Like, if you're delivering a really good service and a really good product, if you want to look at it that way, like, it's hard, it's going to be hard for people to argue, keep to, you know, if they're asking for more and you're saying no, but you are just crushing it with what you're doing. And there's no real good definition of that. Um, but I think a lot of people do a really good job and they're always trying to add that little extra thing and until it becomes too overwhelming. And that was what it was with me. And so it was just coming back around to understanding that it doesn't always have to be more that you add, but just like figuring out that you're doing a good job within your wheelhouse.
1: Right. Oh, definitely, definitely agree with you. And I think you make a lot of really good points, especially especially when you were talking about the young A.T.s who right out of school, which I am where, I'll tell you right now, I, I too, am a people pleaser.
0: Yeah, I, I screwed up so many times as a G.A., like, oh, my. Yeah. I, between just how I approach situations and every time I thought I was trying to learn from them and every time I thought I did and I tried the new approach, somehow it was wrong. And mm-hmm. I, so it has now gotten where I think I've addressed most of them. I still get myself in sticky situations, but that's because again, I try and like dance around and be flexible when sometimes you just have to be no. And we're, we're, we were going to go through it this year where I'm at. We had nine, 10 staff members and we're down to six or seven. We can't maintain the same model with three less people. It's just not possible there just is not enough hours in the day. And then even looking at that, you know, this is a, sorry, I'm going to get on a tangent again. You know, it's, it's looking at the bigger profession and this is one that comes up a lot, you know, and Austin, I think we talked about this a little bit um, with your position now, like how we advance the profession is, I think in terms of salary and quality of life and things like that is yes, we need to go to the institutions. Absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. But at
0: the same time, going back to those directors and head ATs, you can control, if you can't control the money, because sometimes we can't, like I can't control that we have two part-time positions. I'm just thankful we have those positions. I can't control how much money they're going to get paid. Um, I'm trying to come up with creative solutions, but... At the same time, what I can control is the amount of hours they work for that money. And so what I can help control then is what they do with those hours to make it so it's at least a reasonable working wage when you break it all down. And ultimately, hopefully offer them the ability to go and moonlight to get another job. Like that is important, you know, so they can live on a decent salary and, you know, do what they need to do. And so while those jobs are still getting posted, which sucks, and I, I don't pretend to know everybody's situation, but when you've got major athletic departments that just may, and this is a hard time to talk about it because of COVID, but just in general, even before that, like when you've got major athletic departments offering internships and things like that, that expect full working hours for 15 grand, like we're not doing ourselves any favors as a profession for that. You know, there's a difference between a true internship and just giving you your team and telling you to go take care of them and basically expect what you expect. That was my GA experience. I worked full time and I went to grad school on the side. Basically, Um, I went and trained trained it for the world. But in hindsight, I don't know that I'd want to do that to young professionals because you can burn them out and get them out of the profession, which is ultimately what we don't want to do. Right. Sometimes that's hard for coaches to hear because they'll, you know, some of the mentality, not all of them, again, some of them, this is, I, I don't mean for these to be blanket statements, but they just happen to be like, they're young coaches. They're they're putting in their time. They're, you know, going through the grind. And I used to think that, you know, our GAs that we had at UWL needed to do a similar thing and that's evolved a little bit because that's putting more people out of the profession than it should and ultimately isn't going to make it sustainable yeah
1: well definitely, absolutely agree with you on all of that you, i mean it's unfortunate especially right now with all of covid where athletic trainers are being pushed with what they do i mean you think the sports medicine job and then you're almost adding like a second job onto that dealing with covid
0: yeah infectious so, disease expert <laughs> yeah. or pseudo expert we won't we won't say that any- some people <laughs> might say i am not no no but
1: definitely you raise a good point and i think it goes back to that it's something that's been i've seen trending on twitter i'm sure you've both seen it kind of that at value mm-hmm. trying to establish that and push and now push towards that, is as a profession. So I mean, agree with you 100% with everything you were saying there.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm big on like trying to get things by like attrition. So you try and you try and get more people on board to support it, and eventually it just kind of takes over. So, just as an example of like, and I don't know if this is the reason why, but this is how it kind of happened. Um, When i was at kansas we had two gas that covered track and field so first year ga and a second year ga so the second year was kind of the lead and whatnot well we were there all the time we traveled all the time we took care of stuff but it eventually got to the point where you know it's a huge team i mean you're talking cross country and track for both sexes it's a lot of people and so eventually it went to where the coaches were saying enough of like hey we need more than you know these GAs not that they're not doing a good job but they you know it's the plight of the GA they don't know you your first year so they don't trust you you probably don't know as much as you think you do just because you're a first year GA finally by the second year when the coaches get to know you and maybe start liking you you're almost on your way out because your grad school is almost done so it's impossible to really establish like long-term care And so when I was finishing up there, they had one full-time position um, created and they had the the other GA stayed with them. And now I believe they're at two full-time positions just for track and field. And they've got a full-time strength coach, which is fantastic. You know, so really when you're looking at what you can control and let's just use UWL as an example right now. And I don't know if this will happen, but like we've got our couple part-time ones. Well, and our two full-times, myself, and then another 50-50 position. In order to get things to move, most likely, I'll say to all in blue in the face that we need more resources. But really, if we can get the coaches to understand that these are the resources we have, this is as far as I'm gonna push those resources. You want more, you need to advocate for it from the coaching side, along with me, that tends to get people listening more. And so ultimately that can help. I don't feel like I owe the coaches anything for that, but if you want that, then you might need to argue for that other halftime position going to an athletic trainer, not to another assistant coach. You know, if that's truly what we value in terms of getting our student athletes taken care of. Uh, For the collegiate center in the AMSIA document is a great thing. We're supposed to be at 10.0 FTE for our, given what we do, we are at 3.35 in athletics. And then you throw on the other ones, we're probably at like 4.6. So you're talking almost five and a half FTE, which could be like five full times and a part-time person that that's you that's a big difference we run a completely different ship if we have got that amount of people so
2: Um, i guess uh we kind of very briefly mentioned covid so i've kind of seen you um very busy this last week and you know even the week before um really taking on that role as long as or as well as You know, your athletic training duties, Um, obviously football is a little different right now. So, um, you know, I I don't want to say that you've had a little bit more time for that, but it's just been a weird semester uh, right away. So what has it like being in the leadership role down in the athletic training room with regards to this COVID piece, along with getting the year started for everyone else?
0: Yeah, that's been interesting. Um, it, it was an interesting summer in terms of working on that. And that's a lot of convoluted things that happened around that as well. But um, as I started seeing it coming closer, I very much assumed that my role this year would, and it, this all was dependent on sports. Like obviously if we had full fall sports, I would have been out at practice um, doing all the normal things. Um, we don't right now, um, we aren't actually as of the 17th, um, aren't even on campus. Um, But once we get back to doing things, we're not doing full activity um, with our fall sports. Um, And even then, um, if we hadn't gone off campus, I was very much gonna rely on on the staff to overtake a lot of those day-to-day responsibilities. So it was gonna be a huge opportunity for staff members to get more experience, um, some that were looking for it, so it worked out really well. Um, Hopefully when we get back for our MSAT students to get more experience, um, because just with COVID you guys deserve it and need it. Um, And it it was gonna be difficult for me, but I know I had to think about it that I had to kind of shift and let some of those things go and trust that they're gonna get done. Um, even with general paperwork, the staff and the students have, you guys have been fantastic in just taking that and running with it and staying on top of it, which has allowed me to focus on um, the extraordinary amount of COVID related things that have come up in the short time we're there. And so that was big for me because I, I didn't, I don't want to let go of certain things, but I know I have to um, and allow that trust. And so that's been good for me. Um, and I think good, it'll eventually be good for everybody else. Um, but then, I mean, we've seen it from kind of the top down to, a, you know, from the campus to my boss, to myself, to all of you is communication and what, what you need to know, like to know enough about what's going on without overwhelming you in details that just aren't useful. Um, and so that has been something I've tried to focus on of like, here is the highlights you need to know, and we need to be on the same page with this, all the rest of it, I'll handle in the background and then come to you as I need it. Um, and that's allowing everyone else to do their role still, which hopefully we'll get to do here in another week and a half again. And again, allow for some people to take on responsibilities that hadn't before. So we're all going to evolve a little bit. yeah absolutely
1: like, It's definitely kind of a crazy world we're all in right now so
0: ain't that the truth
1: yeah just kind of doing the best we all can with it which I mean like I said before athletic trainers are the roles are being stretched and they're expanding we're doing new things which is it's in the middle of a pandemic yes which is unfortunate but I think it's also a positive note for that is as a profession, we are showing our value and our ability that, Hey, we're not just here to tape ankles, you know, give you ice bags and all that. Right. So. Totally agree. All right. Well, uh, Great. Do you have anything?
2: Um, I guess. No, I don't. Um, do you want to get into the, the few AT chat questions that we. Hold on. I'm
0: going to spin this on you guys real quick. So ultimately, we talked about me going back to school and what we're looking at there, Um, and I'm probably a year plus away from it yet of like actually officially like digging into my dissertation. Um, And really, what I'm hoping to look at, as I just see in some group chats and Twitter and all the different things of, you you know, coaches have done this or went around me on that and so on and so forth, which is probably always going to happen. There's no way you're going to control it. I've I've long stopped getting upset at where I'm currently at because we don't have secondary insurance. We aren't the sole medical provider of these people that they're going to go and do other things. And my biggest one is just getting that communication, but you know, it is what it is. But again, per our talking about especially with younger professionals and potentially even ones that are still going like, trying to look at like what are the barriers to displaying leadership, however we want to classify that. And that may be more head ATs. That may just be ATs working with their coaches. Like what is stopping us as a profession on a broad stroke? And I know this isn't the situation for everybody. There are a lot of great coach-athletic-trainer relationships, a lot of great AD-athletic-trainer relationships. I don't think it's like a terrible thing, but you look at the NATA – E- slash ESPN story that came out last year you know about the pressure to put people back and all the different things that it exists and it, it is around and it's not a good thing so ultimately that's what I want to try and look at is like the barriers to like why are you why are you holding back and ultimately from that what can we do to help empower especially young professionals that we hope don't get kind of moved out of the profession because it's too much, you know, and that's what we're looking at. So to flip it on you, I'm not going to ask the barriers because that's going to steal away from my potential dissertation. So I don't want that yet. Um, but I'm gonna make you both fill out the survey when I get there, um, potential interview, but what do you two see as like, what would help empower you? or make you feel better about, you know, like we talked about, being able to say no or being able to look at something a little bit different, like with your hours or what your offerings are?
1: Right, Ed. So one thing for me, um, as I said before, I'm in my first year being certified. Um, so it's, especially with COVID, it's been crazy so far, and I've only been doing this for several months. But one thing that I found helpful because there have been times, yeah, I felt completely over my head, but the way we do it, and I think the way my employer does it, they do it well, is there's almost like a mentorship program here where we're paired with one of the associate athletic trainers, one of the higher-up athletic trainers, who we meet with, who we talk with, who we go through. It's almost like its own miniature educational curriculum where we work out some of these issues. And I can just go and say, hey, I'm having trouble with this, or I feel like I'm being overwhelmed and I don't know what to do with this. And having, you know, like a veteran athletic trainer, someone who's been through it, uh, and someone who's there to support you and back you, which is, I think, especially as a newcomer with inexperience and just almost like that deer in the headlights, thing you don't know which way to go just having someone there to you know be able to help support and guide you has been big for me so far
2: I I would definitely uh agree with that even just from a student perspective um just having preceptors that are open to um not you know not only teach you you know skills and stuff regarding just athletic training but you know, checking up on you, um, you know, mentally, making sure that uh, if you do have questions, maybe more kind of about the facility and admin stuff that they're willing to answer those things. Um, I think another big one would be, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but just kind of establishing better communication with coaches. Um, I think, you know, at some of the bigger institutions where your football coach might be making $7 million a year, Um, You know, that's usually only a case down, you know, SEC, some Big Ten, things like that. But they're not going to look at you as the same level if that's the case and they're, you know, as popular as they are. I think we can maybe do a better job just in general as a profession. And I'm not just talking about those, you know, major big schools, but just putting, you know, the athletic training staff, the coaching staff in the same room and discussing some of the issues about time, um, resources, things like that. Where can we, you know, sacrifice from each other instead of just always making it, you know, the ATs have to sacrifice for us because we're, you know, sometimes we feel like we're more important as a coaching staff. And I think that um, can play a big role in switching the tide a little bit is just giving ATs a bigger platform, uh, especially at these bigger schools where, you know, they, they can kind of control their own dynamic a little bit better.
1: Perfect. I'm just
2: curious.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, right now I'm just a deer in the headlight trying to find my way. So, what <laughs> I got for you?
0: I think that's part of it. And I think just the more you can try and see that bigger picture, because, I mean, marriage and family isn't for everybody, but it's the reality for a lot. And some of those things are, I, like, I don't know how high school ATs do it. I, I really don't. Um, I don't. I just, I don't even know how I would do that with all the events you would have to potentially cover. Like, you got to have some sort of boundaries. I mean, we were going to deal with it this year and have to take a look at it after the year. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's just important to consider across the profession
1: definitely definitely all right you ready to get to the RAT chat questions here yeah. all right we've asked you a couple of these before so we kind of modified them especially see how things might change now that we've all kind of gone through the summer of COVID and starting to get back into school and things so question number one we got for you where do you see athletic training going in the next five to ten years kind of setting the example there.
0: I mean, I think that's going to be super dependent um on the setting. Um I will be very curious to see how big division 1 you know athletics comes out of covid um just with the amount of money that is needed to let those run and the salary cuts and some programs being cut across the country. I what does that do to sports med programs like does that hurt them or does it help them because of what we talked about like what they were able to do um i hope it's the latter in that it helps them um you know there's only so many things you can add into a sports med department and a lot of those big places are figuring it out um i'm also a little nervous like in our in my case like our staff has rescinded um but all our head coaches are now 1.0 coaches uh, everybody's got an assistant in some full-time capacity, um, some sort of mix. Um, where do we? Where does our department fall within that? You know, if you want all that personal care, like you got to put people there. Um, when there's almost as much FTE and specific programs as there is within an entire department, that's something to take a look at. Um, so I'm hoping people see the value in that. In that investing. total a year is worth everything and not having a lawsuit because people are out there protecting, preventing, and looking at those things. And uh, you never want it to come to that uh, when it comes to make the things. But, you know, we've seen it a couple of times this summer already with some deaths um, and people not being prepared. And man, for a multi-million dollar lawsuit, you can get a lot of years of a really good athletic trainer at a pretty good salary um, that ultimately is going to be the benefit in the long run. Um, I think the profession is going to explode in the other things. I mean, we were talking on, um, I don't even remember what call it was, but I mean, like Amazon was hiring people basically working on Monday through Friday, nine to five, making about 75 grand, and you get a couple thousand dollar, if not more, signing bonus. What? In the industrial setting? That sounds awesome. Um, one of our current, our, our former guests, um, Susan Tao, works at a uh, liquor distribu- distribution thing, and she has a great job based on that thing. And if you follow her on Twitter, she gets to sample so many things that I would be a I'm lot happier general. than I am now. But like, how cool is that just to do something different and have that unique experience? Like, I think it's only gonna get more and more unique in those areas, because again, if you can keep people working, it saves them on he- their healthcare costs, it saves the employer on healthcare costs. And so it's just trying to get people to see that investment on the front end instead of waiting for it on the back. Right,
2: yeah, so um, I guess next question for you, what advice would you give yourself uh, as a young athletic trainer? I know you might have touched a little bit on this with uh, some of our earlier discussion, but I'll, I'll leave it up to you to answer that.
0: I'll go back to grad school. Um, I think I've said this before, but you pass a test which shows you're proficient. I went to work with coaches, multiple of them that had been coaching longer than I had probably been alive. Well, yes, they are not medical professionals by trade. They've seen some stuff. They've experienced stuff, but most of them were high-level athletes before they became high-level coaches. It's okay to not know everything. It's okay to work with people and ask questions, and I wish I would have more. Um, It takes some time to establish that, but you cannot be the expert coming out of either your undergrad or your MSAT. You can be really well-equipped, but you just don't have the experience, and the experience is going to teach you so many things. And so I think for that, it would be that, is just have that understanding and then be really, really reflect on if something doesn't go right, why? And then also, why are you doing things? And that's something I've tried to challenge the students more with is don't just do stuff because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Like, have your why. Um, I stole it. He was like a Brazilian businessman. He had the three why tests. And if you could have a thing of why do I do this? And you could answer that why three times, like you're talking to a kid that just kept asking why and you had legit answers, you're probably on the right track if you can't come up with that for each one you might need to do away with it or kind of reassess and so kind of those and then the last one just tying into this is like try and prove yourself wrong because if you can attack what you're doing like in a productive way and see something different man you're going to be in a good spot and it's just a simple example of ice when i really dug into it couldn't justify why i was doing it for the most part versus doing something different not that i just didn't do anything period but doing something different that was probably going to be more beneficial
1: absolutely yeah i remember the three why yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a tim
0: Ferriss episode i can't i don't remember who it was but it was a tim Ferriss show podcast I will say that
2: was a, that was my first rotation was with you and football and starting out with someone that would always ask, you know, why do you want to do that? Um, it scared me a little bit right away. Cause we didn't learn a whole lot of the stuff, you know, didn't know. first semester of grad school, but, right. um, I, I will say that that was just a huge part of, um, kind of my, my mentality even now of why I choose to do certain things. And, um, now I, I'm always ready to explain it to a preceptor but. Uh, Nobody really asks why as much as you did. So um, I haven't really had that opportunity. But um, I will say that that was a really good start for me was um, being ready to explain, you know, why I wanted to try something or do something. And I think that, um, you know, maybe if there are preceptors listening, that that is a really good thing to implement to students. um, Because a lot of times you just want to do what someone else is doing. And, um, you know, if, if you can really explain why they're doing that, you're definitely one step ahead, you know, already.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to do it internally if you aren't getting asked externally. Sure, All
1: right, last last question we have for you here. Um, what does being asked like a trainer mean to you? You have answered this before, but again, with as you said, with experiencing especially with COVID and dealing with all that, what does that mean to you right now? It's being
0: adaptable. Um, it's being yeah, I think leadership now is going to get tested more than anything when it comes to student-athlete health and safety. Um, I was all for and still am all for trying to have as much sports as we can as safely as possible. Um, I probably look at it differently now given the numbers that we're at, but I still think some form of activity is possible um, if we can do that. Uh, but I also know there are going to be people that want to push too hard, too fast, putting in dangerous situations and just – being able to stand the ground of saying, no, that's not okay. It's dangerous. It's not safe. It's not worth the risk. He's going to be vitally important. Because um, that's what we're there for. We're there. I mean, I want a job as much as anybody else. And so if athletics gets canceled, I'm screwed too. But at the same time, at what cost? Um, it happened early on. It was an NBA analyst who said it, and he said it, and I have said it before or again is let's be on the right side of history with this thing. And if that means erring on the side of safety and precaution, I'm all for it. It, It's just not worth having something happen because, you know, exertional heat stuff generally can be controllable. And Casa would say this, you know, like we can prevent it if we react how we are supposed to. We don't know that with COVID. It is outside of our control. There are things we can't, comprehend and it, it only takes one bad case to just knock somebody out real bad or God forbid something um, happen that they, you know, pass away. I don't want to, I don't want to wait for that to happen for it to be an eye opening and something that we hopefully will never experience again in our lifetimes. And so I think just being able to know why you're doing it, even when it's really hard, It's gonna help me sleep better at night and that's good by me and I hope most people will understand that if they don't completely agree with it. So
1: Absolutely. All right. Is anything else you want to hit on before we let you go? Any other I've been
0: rambling too much, so I'm gonna stop.
1: (laughs) All right. So where can people find you on social if they wanna get in touch with you?
0: Uh, Twitter, I think it's Joel underscore Luke key. Um, obviously any of the athletic training chat, I usually am mostly responding on those. I know you guys do from time to time, but, um, you know, you can always preface it with just throwing my name in the front of it. Um, I've been more active on Twitter recently, which I'm very proud of myself for. Um, but always up for a good conversation, uh, whether that's recorded or not on the podcast. Um, that's one thing just with some other things on Twitter, like, yeah we can talk in 240 characters at a time but let's have a conversation and really try and get through and understand where we're we're coming from better Um, I think that's important Um, and I'm all for it all
1: right absolutely we'll make sure to link those up in the episode page here so appreciate your time and
0: thank you fellas
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you forward to doing some more episodes here yeah we'll talk to you later